Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Yeah, this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild, powerlifter, soon to be Highland Games athlete again. I decided to come out of retirement, show those boys how to throw. Next Sweet. Year. And uh, yeah, just all, all around amazing person. Nice. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. Uh, owner of Extreme Human Performance, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, faculty member of the Kerrig Institute, and I'm down here doing the uh, Kerrig Module 2 on cardiovascular training that Dr. Kenneth J is doing. So, learning lots of cool stuff and getting the crap beat out of us on a roar. <laughs> nice. You're staying warm. Like, we're freezing and you're warm, huh? Yeah, it's not nice. I'm standing outside right now. It's sunny and probably 77. So yeah, look at you. Can't complain. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> we are bracing. Yeah. We're bracing for that big winter storm here in Ohio right now. It's just about to slam us, like, literally we in the next hour. Last night, so. What's that? I said, yeah, the one we got hit by last night. Right, so. yeah, same one. Oh, it's on its way. <laughs> right. Uh, mail and news. Um you know what? Let's start with some news, actually. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Phil, we didn't get a follow-up with you much about your pursuit of the 800-pound squat. I mean, to my recollection, that's not even something that you did with a biological hip. Is that fair? No, I'm, I'm, I'm past where I ever hit with a, my, my biological hip. So I never hit 700. And then yesterday, today's my last heavy squat day. But last week, I was just supposed to hit my opener which is seven, and I went ahead and took it for a pretty easy double. So that felt good. Nice. And then I hit a, I hit a bodyweight PR Thursday. Thursday I stepped on the scale because I felt extra big, and uh, 293.6. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's a PR bodyweight, right, for you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty big. So <laughs> <laughs> Large. Uh, Large. Yeah, but I'll, I'll lift at 275. It won't take <laughs> anything to get down to that. I'll just, like eat normal next week so <laughs> one week yeah, yeah. So your body wants to return right yeah i'm just bloated man so uh well what's going through your head week. i mean um all-time pr nothing weird about the hip not really are you just used to it, it feels now? good it feels good now like all that when i first started swatting heavy again like every rep it was like well i hope this thing holds up <laughs> yeah and all those thoughts are gone now now I don't I don't think about it. It's just let's squat, and uh, every once in a while I'll have a slight bit of pain, but uh, and that's usually if I just go a little bit too wide or something. Um, other than that, I mean, no, I mean I feel good, so I'm probably more mobile than I have been in years, um, and that took a lot of work. So uh, no, I mean it's it's feeling good. I've been doing my walkouts with 800. That no longer feels daunting. I'm not going to say 800 is a for sure thing. But it's it's definitely it could be done. Mm-hmm. It, I, I'm gonna have to hit it exactly right. It's not like oh yeah, I totally got this no matter what. But 700 now is a, a weight that I can mess up with. Like I've had a couple of those the last few weeks where it's oh I didn't hit that right, but it, it's I'm strong enough now that even when I mess up, I can make that lift. Right, happens anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, and then, and then I can fix it on the next attempt. So. I think 800's there if I if I do everything right. So okay, you know, uh, Phil, um, your squat is, I think, officially past your best deadlift. Is it? It is true. It, well, <laughs> uh, no, but it could be. It will be if I hit this. So wow. this will be the first meet. This will be the first meet ever that potentially I'll squat more than I deadlift. So yeah, I don't think I'm good for more than 750 on deadlift right now. Mm-hmm. 700's not that bad, but it's. My 700 deadlift is harder than my 700 squat. Mm-hmm. Like I can go in any weekend and hit 700 squat now. Wow. And I can't do that on, on deadlift. There was a week, like three weeks ago, I hit a 700 squat, and then like 15 minutes later, pulled 700 on deadlift. So, but uh, Nice. 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'll open up like 675 on deadlift. Mm-hmm. So, to me, yeah. that's a remarkable achievement, but not being a competitive powerlifter, how often do people you know, replace their signature lift? Because to, to me, the deadlift was always your signature lift. Does that happen often, or is this a, a rarity that uh, one of the other big three lifts becomes, you know? No, I think it's pretty abnormal. I mean, you look at somebody like J.P. Price who squatted 1,003 or whatever it is, and he's never been a great deadlifter. When I say that, I mean he's still pulling the 700s. Yeah. So, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but comparatively, and he'll probably always be that way. Uh no, I think it was honestly just a case of I had those eight years where it was like squatting was painful and horrible, and I still did it. But then all of a sudden, squatting didn't hurt at all, and I really enjoyed it. And it was like, okay, I've been doing this deadlift thing for a long time. I really want to push the squat. Mm-hmm. So I put a lot of attention on my squat. I mean, most of my time has been spent over the last three years uh, – Squatting is my main move, and deadlift is kind of an afterthought because I know it's there type of thing. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've just really pushed the squat. So. It's sort of fun, like, mid-career to pivot a little and pursue something not new but, you know, uh, reprioritized. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It, it gave me kind of a new fire. And, like, I don't know if I'll ever top my deadlift with a new hip. You know what I'm saying? But I knew I could do it with my squat. So mm-hmm. it's like, I know I can get new area in there. Let's go after that. So Yeah, that's interesting, uh, actually. In yeah. itself, it's interesting that the hip it might put a ceiling on your deadlift, but maybe not so much your squat. I don't know. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, it's the case of any. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why deadlifts are harder in a meet. It's because you have to squat three times really heavy before it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, this no, sounds... I'm in that area. It sounds funny, but yeah. I might... Maybe this summer... I'm serious. Uh, do some case study work on you because I don't okay. think anybody else does this. Like, um, you know, get you in a MRI unit and just you know yeah. take a look at that hip and uh, everything else. I don't know. You know, yeah. do some performance tests. We've been talking a lot of stuff about that lately too. Like the doctor gave me a list of things that I probably shouldn't do, but that list of things also isn't relative to somebody in my shape. Yep. Like, he's like, you shouldn't downhill ski. It's like, yeah, but I have, you know, they're they're going off records of, like, 70-year-olds. You know, I right. have a, a lot more tissue holding this repla- replacement in place yep. than the average 70-year-old does. So maybe that's something I can do. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's my point, really, right? I mean, just to yeah. document it, so few um, elite powerlifters and bodybuilders have serious something recorded about them in the literature, I think. You know, and that's what that's the value I think of a case study, right? I know it's an N of one, but it's supposed to be in these sort of rare situations that aren't very replicable. And like you said, I mean, the vast majority of hip replacement people are in their sixties and seventies and they're not athletic. Yeah. You know. And yeah, we've joked about if I hit the same tire squat then reaching out to the implant company and trying to become sponsored. You know, get me on commercials. Seriously. <laughs> if I were that I would. It's like a true test of their equipment, right? Yeah. Field exactly. testing. Yep. So. Okay, uh, this next one, Mike, you might have some interest in. This is just a piece of news, Uh, science news. 50% of people who think they have a food allergy actually don't. The original story was from Lurie Children's Hospital uh, and published in the JAMA Network Open, so Journal of the American Medical Association Network Open. It says over 10% of adults in the U.S., More than 26 million people are estimated to have a food allergy, according to a study published, again, in JAMA Network Open. Uh, Lead author was Ruchi Gupta, MD, MPH, uh, and again, from Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago and Northwestern University. However, researchers found that 19% of adults think they are currently food allergic. And again, it says there's 10% that are, 19% think they are. And I see this in fitness quite a bit, you know, with the gluten thing and a lot of different things. But results are based on a nationally representative survey of over 40,000 adults. Researchers also found nearly half of real food allergies um, were developed as adults, which uh, made them surprised, according to Dr. Gupta. Um, it says the study data indicate the most prevalent food allergens in the U.S., and I didn't find these surprising, but they're worth noting. Shellfish, uh, number one, 7.2 million adults. 
Milk was next, 4.7 million adults. Peanut was third at 4.5 million people with peanut allergies. Tree nuts at 3 million. Thin fish, it's interesting that they made that distinction, but uh, 2.2 million. Egg allergy for 2 million adults. Wheat, the same at 2 million adults. Soy was next in the rankings, 1.5 million adults with a soy allergy. And then finally, sesame, find that odd actually, uh, at 0.5 million adults. So it looks like a lot of the usual uh, culprits for real allergies, right? Shellfish, milk, uh, peanuts, fish, egg, wheat, that kind of thing. Soy's on the list. That's interesting. Uh so, yeah, uh, oftentimes I think that my bias is that most people in the fitness world, they overreact. They think they have a food allergy. If you do blood yeah. work and other testing, they don't. They might have some kind of intolerance. Uh, but what do you think, Mike? Because I know you, you think about this kind of thing pretty often. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a big difference between what is a – their definitions, what is an allergy and what is an intolerance, right? Because if you talk to most people, they're like, oh, I have a – you know, allergy to wheat. And I'll ask him, I'm like, so what happens if you eat wheat? Oh, I just don't feel very good. I'm like, okay, well, that's <laughs> a little different than my throat swells up and I need to get to an ER or I'm going to die. Right. Yeah. You know, EpiPen. I think a lot of people, yeah, confuse intolerance with allergy. Mm-hmm. And in terms of even on the intolerance side, whatever definition you're using for that, I mean, I've seen people go in and spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on you know, specific allergy testing. And one guy in particular, he did that. His wife was a natural path, so he got all the testing done. His stress was just, you know, insane, working a busy job, you know, didn't sleep real well. So he made a bunch of, you know, good dietary changes, you know, removed some stuff, did a little bit more aerobic training, got more sleep, got his stress under control. And when he was retested again, hey, everything looked really good. Um, so I've seen that happen more than once. And I've seen people who are very, you know, stressed out because that's an effect on the immune system, which is tied into all of this, that a lot of things that they're eating just become sort of, you know, irritants. Mm -hmm. Even at the end of the day, if that's not the case, you're probably going to have to do some type of dietary rotation or elimination diet. We're going to pull stuff out and see how you feel anyway. So I'm... Not a big fan of a lot of the, the testing because it's expensive and usually you have to find a physician, obviously, to do it. But the end result is you're probably just going to remove stuff and see how you feel. So a lot of people just keep a simple log of, okay, you had this, and then how did you feel half hour, maybe an hour later? And if something shows up, like, oh, wow, every time you eat eggs, you seem to not feel as good. Okay, let's have eggs for breakfast tomorrow and see how you feel. Oh, wow, I felt horrible. Okay, let's remove those for a period of time and see if you feel better. You know, just kind of sort of a process of elimination there. And then if I think their stress is super high or their HRV is all wonky, you know, we're going to try to work on those things. And the end goal is that I'm going to try to reintroduce those foods again. So we're not dealing with a frank allergy. Um, and a lot of times people can handle those things again or they can handle them, you know, quote, up until a certain point. So I, yeah. I think it's pretty messy and... Yeah, it's the psychosomatic thing you can never completely remove from it either. Mm, that's what I was going to say. I mean, then you have yeah. this hard part about people thinking they have a wheat allergy. So exactly. anytime, they eat, anytime they eat wheat, they think they feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, and I mean, we've. I, it's a, I know it's an end of one thing, but like my wife had a skin issue here recently, and like she went to the doctor. And, oh, yeah, you have an allergy. You need to get tested. We need to figure out what allergy it was. Okay. They tested. You have no allergies. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah. whoops. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I guess we're wrong. You know, mm-hmm. came out as no zero allergies. So, yeah. yeah. That's a good point, Mike, about I mean, the neuroendocrine immune system. These are all connect- oh, yeah. connected and yeah, and this corroborates this recent report. What I usually tell patients or clients that well, you know, single digit percentages of the population are allergic to any one thing, and only a fraction of them are allergic to multiple things, right? So it becomes highly unlikely that some of these people are almost hypochondriac, you know, like you were saying with the, the psychological thing, like, oh my God, I'm allergic to all this stuff um, because they hear about it. But you're right. I, I also agree with the testing and stuff. Um, a lot of the tests that you had done, when I was a kid, I had a lot of 
uh, food allergy tests, you know, and they went up and down my back with the little prick, you know, pin pricks of the different, you know, uh, irritants. And then they look at how much it swells, what kind of histamine response you have. But a lot of that stuff or some of the antibody blood work stuff, it's not yeah. highly – it's like oversensitive and not highly specific to allergy or or particular one, you know. So there's like some kind of 50 percent – you know, diagnostic value or something. And I don't want to pay a bunch of money for that either, especially because what you said, and again, I'm not a physician. So listeners follow up with your doctor, but um, ultimately they're going to do some kind of elimination diet anyway, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But you know, some people need the testing to be convinced or not convinced that they have something. And I think it can be useful at that point. But yeah. Yeah. Just, I'm not a fan of, like you said, people going out and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to get testing that I can usually probably just predict. And then you're going to have to do the same thing again anyway. Right. So. The treatment's going to be the same. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Serial trials on yourself, right? Introduce it, remove it, you know, look and make, make some detailed, you know, observations each time you, you remove it or introduce it. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, my oh, goodness. Never mind me. <laughs> Traveling Mike Nielsen. Yep. Um, That's what happens when they lock you in the car and leave, and then you let them in the car. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, one quick um, blurb I, I just want to offer uh, about the uh, the coffee prototype project thing that we're doing. Just real quick. Um, those samples have been sent uh, to the people who signed up, but I'm, I, I asked everyone to hit the pause button on using them. Uh, until we can get some routine microbial testing done. We're working with a lab. I, maybe I'm just being paranoid, but I want to double check. Um, I have actually, what we sent out to everybody, I've used myself repeatedly from the same batch. So that kind of thing. Um, and yet I just want to get a, a sweeping uh, look at these. Now, having said that, there are instructions that anybody who was involved in this coffee tasting project there are instructions in that packet that you can use and still have fun with and learn how to be a coffee taster with your own favorite blends and that kind of stuff. So by all means, you know, take a look at some of those uh, flavor tasting wheels and things like that and um, get a feel on, you know, what what objective cost. Well, it's not completely objective, but quantifying your coffee tasting ability is. It's really quite fun. You see how how sensitive you are to picking up these different notes and flavors and that kind of stuff. So, oh, also, if anybody, if anyone is particularly patient, send me an email at lawnman7 at hotmail.com, um, and I'll make it worth your while. I'll give you a little reward for following up with me. But because of this microbial testing, I would kind of like to spot test some other ones that were already mailed and sent uh, and that kind of thing. Like I said, I'll make it worth your while if you send me an email, lawnman7 at hotmail.com. Um, and then, of course, I'll be in touch with anybody who's in that coffee tasting project um, as soon as we hear from the labs. This all sounds like another delay, but again, this is the kind of stuff, if you want to be professional and be responsible, this is the way you do it. So um, I'm still excited to see a lot a lot of this stuff in Hot Pans Out. Okay. Um, that's it for any kind of uh, news. I have one. Uh, it's actually a review from iTunes. Uh, I thought it was especially good, so I'll read this as our mail this week, uh, and then we'll go to break. This is Gina G. Um, it was very thoughtful, and it's a, it's a fairly lengthy review. Um, best of the best, and she gave us five stars on iTunes, so thank you, Gina. Uh, it says, in no particular order, here's a list of reasons why Iron Radio is great. One, they really know what they're talking about. As a team, they have real-world experience uh, and experience teaching and coaching, and that is worth a ton. Uh, if you're actually trying to learn something from a podcast, uh, you want hosts that have all of that. Uh, and they've been in the strength community for years. I can't even wrap my head around the wealth of knowledge these guys have. Uh, number two, the hosts bring a nice variety of different Types of relevant backgrounds. That is, it's not just about training or just about nutrition. And those interested in competing, you know, the hosts have experience in doing that. And for the record, Gina, Phil is the super competitor <laughs> among us. <laughs> He's the one that competes the most. But yes, we've all we've all definitely had our um, waded into that pool a little bit. Um, 
again, with a variety of strongman, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, and bodybuilding. I mean, for God's sake, Phil just mentioned getting back into games, right? Highland games. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, they all seem like nice guys. I hate uh, that I even have to write that, but I don't find that true of all strength-related podcasts. In contrast, some other shows have commentary laced with homophobic or sexist comments that I'm just not cool with. Uh, number four, uh, they have a great balance because, A, it feels like hanging out with your gym fam, and, B, uh, it stays related to the general wheelhouse of what the audience is there for. That is, there aren't random 20-minute ramblings about totally unrelated stuff like some podcasts do. Uh, number five, they're not there to sell you anything. Their motives are 100% about giving back. And then it says, see number three about them being nice guys. Um, and that, anyway, so it goes on about that, too. Um, Several things here. Reliable week after week. She just says a lot of really good things. So thank you, Gina, for that. Thank you, Gina. Yeah, that's kind of how yeah, we. Thank you. That's awesome. How we get paid. <laughs> yeah. You know. Oh, maybe. You know, maybe we'll do this some more. You know. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of that, we had uh, while we're we're talking about listeners, we had a few stop into my facility this week. So. Oh. Oh, nice. Yeah, James. I'm gonna butcher his last name. Pardon me, in. He's been a listener. He, he dropped me a line. Um, he's in the U.S. Army and was going to be doing some classes down to Fort Riley, which is about an hour away. Asked if he could roll into the gym. I was like, yeah, he rolls in. He's like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm meeting you. He, he was just thanking us. He's uh, he's listened to us through three deployments in Afghanistan, Kuwait, and somewhere else. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, and just hung out. They hung out one day and then ended up coming back the next day, and then we went to Texas Roadhouse. It was a good time. So, uh we got to squat and bench and deadlift and just all around shoot. Oh, the shit. whole deal, yeah. yeah. We did it all, so that's yeah. fun. Yeah, that's that's got to be fun when people actually get to come make a little pilgrimage to your place. You know. Yep, that's that was cool. neat. Yep. So if anybody's ever in the area, just drop me a line and you can stop by. So. All right. Well, that's a good segue. Uh, when we come back from the break, I was remiss in saying this at the beginning of the show, but we're going to talk about three habits. Uh, weekly habits of successful gym owners or fitness company owners. And we'll just kind of, especially because Mike and Phil both do this, um, I thought it'd be fun to, you know, see what these guys do because they're successful at what they do. Uh, and we'll get some, some input if anybody else has ever thought about opening a gym. So we'll be back in a bit. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? 
In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we're back. It's Phil and Mike and Lonnie, and I'm going to grill these guys a little bit or, you know, get their uh, best um, input as far as weekly habits for successful fitness company owners, a gym. Uh, Mike does a lot of stuff online. Uh, but, Phil, let's start with you. Uh, a habit, what comes to mind for you? Like, we, you know, before we hit record, of course, you're talking about running out to the gym to turn on the furnace and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what's a weekly habit that really sticks out in your mind that you do and has really served you well? Number one, and it's because I've seen this lately in the last year with several other places, you got to show up every day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I, I think that should go without saying, but amazingly it doesn't. I've seen several places fail because of it. Like we have a schedule. And we're there no matter what, or somebody's there. You know, I've seen this with other places like uh, um, we had a couple people like try and start boxing and this and that within within my facility. And then after a little while, it's like they'd be dropping their clients' lines. Oh, I'm not going to make it tonight. You can't do that. You know, if right. you're Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5, you are Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5, or you will lose all your clients. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have to be there at my set times every week, no matter what, six days a week. And just show up, you know, and do your thing. That That's what they pay you for. And if you start not doing that on a consistent basis, they're going to quit paying you to do that. So, I mean, uh, set a schedule that's uh, that you know you can live with long term, and it's not going to change. <laughs> yeah. That's so. actually – that's really good, and especially as a follow-up to that. I mean, you're talking about as you're the the property owner, you know, the gym owner – that if yeah. you have if you hire people that are going to work with clients for you, they can't flake either. No, you know, yeah, yeah, that's like good. You have to be there, and if not, like if I'm gone, like we go to events and stuff. What happens? I get somebody to fill that spot. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody is there opening it up right. you know, at the right time. So right. <sighs> Yeah, I think in in niche industries like what you do, you know, I mean, I mean, I know you do a, a broader you athletes and the powerlifters and that kind of stuff, but I mean, in the fitness world, being so broad, you're about, you know, a lot big focus on barbells and strength, of course, and hence the name. Um, yeah. But um, I think a lot of I even see in local businesses around they kind of run it like a studio, or I see some of these like art galleries or hobby shops, and their mm-hmm. hours are coffee shops their hours are absurd like yeah. they're open tuesdays you know 11 a.m to 2 p.m i'm like yeah you can't <laughs> you know and alternating yeah. wednesdays and it's yeah. like a convenience it's almost just a side hobby and if you're going to have an actual business that's not how the world works oh, yeah. there's a lot of times i don't want to wake up before 30 a.m and go in Amen. when it's 12 degrees out and turn the <laughs> you know do this thing yeah, but right you know what? i do it you know, every yeah. week. Totally. So. All right, Mike, let's switch over to you, brother. Um, because of, it's a little different nature of what you do. You you work with clients in person and online, but what's what's something you do every week that serves you really well? Yeah, I mean, I think that's trying to figure out what you do best for serving your audience. So most of my articles now are through my newsletter. Uh, most of it is written. I don't do a ton of video. Maybe that'll change. Um, part of that's just because I like the writing process and people who have been on my list for years or however long are used to getting it via written. Um, but you know, I send content probably on average five to six days a week, you know, and some of it is a few things like, Hey, I got a few online spots open and stuff like that. But most of it is content based. And the only way you're probably going to see it is, to sign up to the newsletter, which is free. Um, but if I all of a sudden would just not send anything for two weeks, people are probably going to check out and go, oh, I don't know, so much for this guy. He used to send me stuff all the time. I guess I'm not that important anymore. <laughs> you know, just like yeah. if you were to not show up at your gym. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's it's very similar. And, you know, some people could argue that, you know, maybe that's them doing 
social media or Instagram or you know whatever it is that they do. There's tons of ways to do it. You know, like for this podcast, right? We've you know been, you guys have been doing a show every Saturday for ten years. You know, consistently show up. People know what to expect, and then just follow through on that. And like Phil was saying, it seems very basic, but even just you know working with a few people, I'm like, well, how often do you put content out? It doesn't have to be like these super long articles that take you three hours to write. It could just be a very simple tip that may be new to the people who are reading. It doesn't have to necessarily be a ton of work per se, but there has to be value associated with it, and then you have to be consistent with it over time. That's a good. I like the idea about it's. You're right. It's very similar in person, uh, written word podcast. Uh, you got to budget your time. You know, so many people they invest too too much time. You know, like Mike, if you try to write an article with thirty references, right, and do it every oh, Monday that takes and a Friday, long time. yeah, it, it's just not. Time is a resource. Like money is a resource. You know, and if you don't have it, it's folly to try to spend something you don't have, and that includes time. So. All right, let's let's continue the roundtable. Uh, Phil, maybe uh, something else that you – just something you do habitually every week. What else Jeez. you got? Um, I mean, I'm always trying to learn something. I mean, that's that's that should go without saying too. But, I mean, I think one place people mess up is they, they just think they know it all. And they've got nothing left to learn. And I'm always trying to learn something from my clients, from other people. Um, I'll refer out. <laughs> I understand that I don't know everything and it's okay to, you know, just to send somebody somewhere else if I don't know it or I'll reach out. Let me reach out to Mike. He probably has an idea of this mm-hmm. that I, I don't get instead of just, I don't know. I won't go deal with it. Right. I try and help my clients. It's, uh, you know, so, I mean, it's care, I guess. Yeah. Phil, does that happen a lot, in your opinion, in the fitness world? Like, I can tell you, I, there's been a few times in academics where I sat someone down and I, I kind of kicked into, you know, fatherly advice mode. And I'm like, listen, it's okay not to know, you know, because, yeah. Mike, you know, in academia, there's a lot of know-it-all oh, oh, a-holes. Yeah. And even if they don't really know something, uh, they'll kind of flail around and, and try to answer you and salvage their their ego, you know, oh, yeah. but um, Phil, that's probably true. You think in, with in person fitness, it's, it's horribly true within the fitness industry. I think it's like there's there's a ton of people in the fitness industry that think there are a, a coach and a nutritionist and an MD and a soft tissue therapist, and they're they're all of it. Yeah, <laughs> and the problem is in doing so, they're none of it. <laughs> never <laughs> taken the time to actually you know delve into one single field long enough to be any good. Yeah, yeah and they're so, nineteen years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't deal with soft tissue therapy. That's not me. Right. I'll point you to the people who do. Yeah. yeah. It's a lack of respect to pretend that, you, that you're good at yeah. that. Well, you know, with all the training that they have to go, and there, there's a lot of skill, too, not just knowledge, but yeah. skill. Yeah. And that's problematic. That's a huge problem. And the, the, the nutrition one's a big one, too. Like, I mean, I'll give people some pointers of what worked for me, but I'm not a, a, a dietitian. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Me. And you don't want to be really. You know, no. it, that's fine. <laughs> and like when I'm working with people, then what do I do? Is okay. Let me team up with blah blah blah, and we will both work with you. <laughs> you right. Yeah. I'm okay doing that. Yeah. You know. So. Uh, the flip side of that for me is, and Phil, you've heard me say this a hundred times, but when I um, – and I'm not d- doing that in the last couple of years, but when I would teach strength conditioning, I'm like, listen, I'm going to talk about the strength physiology. It's one thing to talk about neuromuscular physiology you know, or musculoskeletal physiology on some level, but there's a huge part of strength conditioning that is coaching and you know the kind of cues that you have to pick up and the actual skill to do – well, God, like the Olympic lifts – you know, and that's why I would, <laughs> I'd say, Phil, come guest lecture, or you know, or try to do something where I, I I gave a nod to the coaches. You know, sometimes we even have listeners, and they'll refer to all of us as coach, and I'm like, I'm I'm not a coach. I mean, there's similarities between teacher or professor and coach to be sure, but I'm not one. Yeah. That's not my wheelhouse. I don't really want to be that because, well, I've got you guys, <laughs> you know, and so you can specialize. Instead of like you said, you try to be jack of all trades. You're going to be master and none, you know. So, yeah, uh, that's yeah. yeah that's and a good. simple simple test for that too is 
I'll ask people and like, do people, if you're doing, you know, hands-on work or nutrition or coaching, do people pay you money for that thing? And do they come back? Because if you're the world's greatest soft tissue person and no one's ever paid you to work on them, I have my <laughs> doubts. <laughs> yeah. 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 I hear you. Um, okay. Well, you're up then, Mike. Can you think of another one? I know I'm putting you guys on the spot. This yeah, is how, no how we all, how we always roll like this. So another yeah. weekly habit focusing on kind of habitual things. Yeah, a big thing related to the previous one is I have a schedule where, you know, I usually work from home when I'm in town. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I actually go off-site to a co-working place. So I pay them money to go somewhere else. It's only like 10 miles from my house. And that forces me to have a set schedule, you know, bring all my food with. And when I get there, I have my little morning routine that's already been written out. Um, I have the luxury we don't have any kids or anything like that. And, of course, your routine in the morning is going to change. But, you know, get up, go for a walk, do some meditation. You know, things that I know that I give myself permission to invest in myself in the morning before everything else starts because I know I will get more done, not necessarily that day, but I'll be able to repeat that day in and day out, right? So try to make something that's semi-sustainable. And then for myself, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when I get there, um, I don't... Or try really hard not to check Facebook, not to do any email or anything, at least until noon. So I have to create some type of content, whether that's a client program, an article, or an academic article. or I have to do some type of content promotion work, or what, like Cal Newport has a really great book called Deep Work. Um, and sometimes that may include, you know, continuing education stuff, too. Um, but making sure that gets done, and then I can check emails and even client emails and things like that. Because I think as a you know trainer, coach, whatever, it's even as an academic, it's super easy to end up just you know putting out everybody else's fires and going by their deadlines and the stuff that you know you should do day in and day out that moves the needle forward. That's your priority, and no one else is probably going to make it their priority. I think you really need to spend the time, prioritize that, set up a system so that you can get that done day in and day out and move the ball forward. I like the priority thing. I I live off of a combination of post-it notes, a desk calendar, my phone, Mm -hmm. and all these reminders. And I've been doing that a bit more lately, too, is uh, instead of bullets of them, I number them. You know, like this one has to be done this morning, like to your point about the content creation, you know. Yeah. So I don't get bogged down uh, just yesterday uh, and the day before. I, I had this sort of chore. I had to create create and edit all these syllabi for a bunch of graduate courses, and I I was immediately inundated with other things. People just hammering down my door to do this other stuff, and I'm and I I just pushed it aside. You know, I'm like, this was the priority. Damn it, this is what's going to happen. You know, so yeah, putting numbers next to each bulleted thing on your list. Um, when you're going to run a company, I imagine this is a, that's a huge deal because you know what's front burner and literally force you to quantify not just front burner but which is frontest burner <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, and I like to do that the night before. So when I get up in the morning, I know exactly everything that I have to do is pretty scripted for the first four to five hours, which sounds incredibly anal retentive. But I find if I don't do that, oh. Something else is going to show up. It's just it's just going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I think when you assume a, lead, a leadership role, right, you have to do that because there's going to be just a chaos of, of unrelated, sometimes vaguely related uh, chores and responsibilities. And but if you're if a plan is going to unfold properly, it can't be in out of order. It can't be random, you know. And that, cause then you're not going to be able to serve the people that you're trying to serve. Because I mean, let's face yeah. it. That's ultimately that's the mature outlook of leadership. Is it's ironic, right? But leaders are really servants to the people that they're trying to to guide. You know. Yeah. So, um, maybe one more, Phil. I know I'm just kind of you know throwing this at you. Weekly habit. Yeah, kind of. Um, oh, along the time management thing, it's just realizing that in this field, um, there is no nine to five. I mean, if you're running a facility like I do, um, if you're coming into this field thinking that, oh, it's going to be great to have this nice set schedule and work eight hours a day, that's not happening. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
I mean, my average day is 14 to 16 hours with some breaks in between. And you have to get everything in your life in line with that. If you're married with kids and things like that, you have to make sure everybody else is on board and understands that. And they're okay with it. And you need to get all this set out prior. <laughs> if not, you're just going to have problems. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, it's figuring out the schedule that you can live with and that everybody can live with. And, uh, you know, I mean, like my average day starts at 430 and I lock the doors of the facility at 745 at night. Yeah. So, wow. And yeah. what's that? 12, 15 hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And in between there, yeah, there's downtime. But during that time, it's it's doing what you guys just talked about. You have your list of things that you need to check off. Uh, so it's okay. I need to do some programming. I need to do this, this, this. I've gotten away from from lots of content aside from this is my outlet for that now, mainly, and the occasional social media post. But I just don't have the time for that right now because I'm actually busy coaching people. Right. <laughs> right. Know? What a novel idea. So, and honestly, <laughs> but I mean, but. You know, when people people say that, why don't you write anymore? Really, what I'm giving right now is my people out there. That is my content. It's my videos I put up of my people squatting 900 pounds, mm-hmm. of my women, you know, deadlifting 450. That that is my, you know, <laughs> autobiography or my uh, portfolio right now, yeah, if you will. So it's it's just bringing the bringing the smarts to the street. You know, we're we're getting it done. So yeah. I imagine the reward. I mean, there's the trade-off, right? I mean, I've spoken to a lot of strength conditioning uh, professionals, and a lot of them have that similar tale. Like, I work 14-hour days, but the reward is you get to do your dream job, kind of. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. But the problem is a lot of people get into this, and they – the problem is like a lot of things. People turn their hobby into a job, and then they hate their hobby. (laughs) Uh uh Uh-huh. Uh, and and then that doesn't work. And then now they hate fitness, you know. And I really love this. And I think the thing is, is it's not so much the the fitness that I love, the strength. I love helping people, helping people in general. And I knew for a long time that I was going to do that. I was going to teach in some capacity, yeah. be it arts or or strength and conditioning and this and that. And I just I I landed in this field because I loved it, and it's fun to help somebody go from from zero to hero or whatever you want to call it. You know, and seeing how how much they progress. So, you know, Phil, that's the I think that's the common thread amongst what a lot of us do. I think sincere people, like authentic people, especially once you're middle aged, like we are, you want to. Like my students are the reason that I go in, just like your athletes. And when I get bogged down with with uh, mundane tasks. Or I really get frustrated, and Mike, you and I have talked about like the committee work and the the bickering and a lot of the the yeah. delays and stuff that happen in academia. The, what makes that tolerable for me is that I get to go do some uh, research with my students. You know, make some small potatoes to be sure, but s- some discoveries, advance the f- field of sports nutrition. The the students are my my product, you know, so when they get they win an award at a research conference or something like that or they get to publish something um, that's hugely rewarding for me too. Just like if Phil gets somebody, you know, squatting eight or nine bills, that's a big deal, right? Cuz you've just done yeah. something for that person um, that arguably they couldn't have done without you. You know, and it makes you yeah. it makes you feel good. But I think in in the fitness world, so oftentimes people are writing or coaching, and it's about them. It's not about their people. You know, and yeah. those people I think are going to fry themselves or burn out or just come across as insincere. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of YouTuber like, oh, look at my guns, look at my abs, great. You know, but what about your clients? Where are they? Yeah, yeah. that's your freaking job. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, Mike, one more from you as we sort of wind this down. Yeah. I mean, I think especially in fitness to tell people that it's okay to invest in themselves and that can be continuing education. I mean, we all know this, like we've all taught in different areas and, you know, like I've done a, taught a few seminars recently and we had people from Italy Oslo, Norway, people that flew over for literally one or two days wow. to be there. Mm-hmm. And some other people I knew were 45 minutes away and like, oh, bro, it's too hard to get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's fine. I'm not saying it's a, a judgment thing. But if you look at the people who are successful, they're always investing in themselves. And that may not necessarily be continuing ed that's expensive, but they buy, you know, basic 
physiology books. You can buy a used, you know, nutrition book for like 20 bucks off of Amazon and learn a bunch of basics if you don't know them, right? So it can be just investment of time. And then also in your own training, it to me, it seems like it goes bipolar. You have the people, like you were saying, Lonnie, who just, that's all they do and they don't really work with a lot of other people. But it's very easy to get kind of lost in everybody else's training and forget to prioritize yours and especially lifestyle is what I see more in fitness. Most people are pretty good at getting the training and semi-okay at nutrition, but they sleep five hours a night and they're like, ah, it'll be all right. It's like, yeah, I've, I've been there. I've done that. And yeah, you can do it for a while. But again, are you going to do that day in and day out? Eh, probably not. Right. And fitness has an ungodly high turnover rate. And I think that's probably a, a good portion of it. And people just not treating it as an actual uh, profession. So that's yeah. my rant. Yeah. No, um, with the burnout and everything else, I mean, this sort of harkens back to Gina's iTunes review, but about experience counting for a lot. I mean, that's. Yes, the, the negative for our listeners is they have to listen to the old men bitch session, you know. But yeah. <laughs> but the, yeah. the flip side is there's only one way. There's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And we've oh, been yeah. our paths often intertwine with each other. But we've all been walking a pretty long time, and you know. And so when people drift to the right, you could kind of bring them back to the middle. If they if they're drifting to the left, bring them back to the middle. You know what I mean? With as far as their training, their nutrition, their sleep. And you start to get the idea of which of these are most important. What's a realistic change? Like, what can you expect in change? You know, there's an art to some of it. The scientist in me doesn't like that necessarily, but individual differences call for that. You know, there's going to be some differences among amongst your people. You know, but yeah. and experience and, is how you deal with that. I think. Yeah, and if you're a trainer, it's okay to hire another trainer or hire a business coach or hire someone else to help you with stuff. It's not a sign of weakness, I don't think, at all. And I think there's still a little bit of that stigma. I mean, most of the clients I have online, 70% of them are trainers. And it's not necessarily because I'm telling them something new and radical, but it's okay, you focus on this, this, and this. Out of all the 17 things you want to do, those are going to be the three that are going to get you you know, 80 or 90% of the way, at least for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll look at something different. Right. Trust trust me, these are the big things. Yeah. 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 And it's helpful to have those people kind of streamline stuff because it's so hard to be super objective about yourself. Yeah. I do try to stay cognizant of what you just said. Like a lot of our listeners are damn good strength athletes or trainers or coaches themselves, you know. So I'm oh, always yeah. I'm always saying you probably know this, but and you yeah. know if somebody comes along yeah, and they yeah. do, and if, if they don't, well, I'm going to try to we all do this sort of speak like a little running glossary, you know, defining what we mean. But at the same time, yeah, and, and it's actually fun to have a little bit more, you know, uh, mid to upper level, a little more elite kind of community that you're running with because, yeah, you don't always have to return to the extreme basics. I'm sure there's some people listen to this show and they're like, I'm not sure I 100 percent understand all of that, but I get the gist of what these guys are saying, you know, and so I think that's helpful. All right. Um that's about it, I, I guess, unless you guys have any last um, tidbits. Yeah, did you have anything you wanted to add, Lonnie, from your experience? Well, uh, just kind of what I sort of added as far as, you know, this, my students are my product in a lot of ways, like just like your guys' clients would be, you know, and that kind of stuff. I do a lot of things for my own satisfaction, and I change gears. One thing might be that, you know, on a weekly basis uh, – like you, Mike, or, or like you, Phil, we all are always trying to go do continuing education kind of stuff. I mean, Jesus, Mike, you travel more to, just to get that kind of yeah. stuff done. It's like, yeah. you know, one week you're up to your elbows in the rib cage of a cadaver, and the next one you're you're learning metabolism from someone in in Europe. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so uh, you know that that le- continual learning stuff is big. Uh, the you know the people that you're teaching as your product that's big not about yourself reminding yourself that self-care all the same stuff that you guys talked about i think and when we have guests on the show isn't it funny how you see that right there's such commonality all right guys well let's 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 call it and we'll see everybody next time see you later guys all right see you guys
Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.